Hi, I'm Mystic, aka Cynthia, the Gabby and Spontaneous F-bomb-dropping Virgo who likes to sort socks. And I'm Mind Power, Michelle, the highly inquisitive, science-loving hypnotherapist who reads and walks a whole lot. You're, You're listening, listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Mystic. We are wildly curious and we want to talk about how spirit meets business, how self-expansion meets love, and how relationships meet life's true purpose. Because it's our belief that there are invisible cosmic forces tying things together. My passion is for the powers of the mind, human nature, and the development of inner strength. I help people transform by investigating their subconscious and reframing or rewriting their internal thinking. My get-off is helping people discover their cosmic irony, where their biggest fear is actually their greatest strength. By uncovering these things, they can revolutionize what they do and how they do it. We want to share how people grow and become bigger, more integrated, more fulfilled, more passionate and inspired in their life's journey. Listen in as we explore transformations, shifts, and finding the ahas while making space for serendipity, the unknown, and magic. Follow us and expand your sense of what's possible. And have fun along the way. Dive in and see how Mind Power meets Mystic. Welcome! You are listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic with me, Michelle Walters, and my co-host, Cynthia Varkavisser. We are here today with Elizabeth Stitt. When you want to raise happy, healthy, and productive kids that are prepared for whatever life throws at them today, Elizabeth Stitt founder of Joyful Parenting Coaching is your go-to parenting coach and expert. Kids don't come with an operating manual. So if you think you're supposed to know how to parent or that it's built into your DNA, that's just not true. With over 50,000 hours of working with kids and parents to support her in her work, award-winning parent educator Elizabeth can guide parents through any situation. Parenting is tough enough in normal circumstances, and it's a skill. It can be taught, learned, and practiced. Author of Parenting as a Second Language and a longtime public school teacher, Elizabeth Stitt brings 30 plus years of working with kids of all ages to her work with parents. Through her talks, workshops, and webinars, Elizabeth brings her warmth and wisdom to parents all over the world. Welcome, Elizabeth. Yay. So glad to be here. Such an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for um, coming and joining us. So Michelle and I were talking. It's May. We wanted to, we wanted to give parents who are so overwhelmed right now. I mean, I think we're all still recovering from, you know, coronavirus, coronavirus and shelter in place. And uh, we thought it would be great for this parenting month to give some tips and tricks for parents who are in overwhelm in any way, shape, or form. So tell me, what is the most uh, common type of overwhelm that you've been hearing from parents these days? It really is just the whole package. It's having so much on your plate. It's feeling that you're not showing up fully and well anywhere because there's just I guess it's not so much on the plate there's too many different plates you're you're the you're the Chinese acrobat who's who's 
trying to keep one plate spinning and the next plate spinning and all of them feel wobbly. And so you never have that moment of going, whoo, all my plates are spinning. And that is utterly overwhelming and joy sucking. Joy sucking. That just sounds so painful, right? Joy sucking. <laughs> I like joyful. I like that's right. a wonderful name. Your business name. Yes, yes. That is that is indeed the aim is joyful. Yeah. But I can totally see how parents easily find themselves into the joy sucking part of life. I know that raising my own kid, who's now a whopping 19, uh, has not been a piece of cake. And I think that, I mean, parenting has always been hard, but it seems like there are so many issues for parents today that no previous set of parents ever had to deal with. And maybe yes. you could help us think a little bit about, you know, what, what it is like to parent kids in the 2023s, 2020, you know, this, this time, as opposed to what it's been like in the past and, and how that, how that challenges both parents and kids. Yes. And I'm, I mean, you said parenting has always been hard. And yes, it's always been hard to the extent that we're dealing with human beings who have different personalities than we do. And, you know, particularly when they go through those de developmental stages where their job is to reject us. Right. Right. right? When they, the, the sort of two, three, four year old and that 12, 13, 14 year old stage where they really need to push us away in order to kind of hear their own voice it's difficult to be trying to help somebody who is actively trying to push away from you. But parenting didn't used to be so hard. And part of the reason is because the standards were not that high. The standard was pretty much keep your kids safe, have them be a reasonably decent human being. And if they get into a nice school, that's great, but they can always go to state school. There's, you know, many ways to, to skin the cat. They can, they, they're going to be okay. So part of what's hard today is we have these incredibly high standards, right? If you wrote down the job description of what a parent needs to be responsible for, what's the expertise that they need to bring to the job, what are the outcomes that are expected? How are they going to be evaluated? <laughs> Just think about that. Crazy, crazy, crazy expectations. To deal with those expectations, one of the things that makes things harder for parents is that instead of just kind of ah, showing up with a kid in front of you and going like, what kid did I get? Ah, okay, well, we'll go from here. We'll start from here. We're always dealing with this checklist. We're always looking to see like, oh, which means, and this is what's really painfully hard, when we go out, when we go public, when we're on our Facebook or our Instagram, or we're standing next to another parent at a soccer game, we only get to talk about the highlight reels. Right. We don't get to talk about the messy stuff, the real stuff. I taught mostly middle school. 
in my 25 years of teaching. In my last three years of teaching, I was the outreach teacher, which was kind of a fancy way of saying school counselor, but I don't have a counseling degree. I was sitting with a mom one day because as outreach teacher, I now had time to not just kind of do parent-teacher conferences where I'm tick, 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 ticking my list of things, but I can just say, well, you know, Cynthia, what brings you in today? And that tip of the iceberg, they'd always come with some school-related concern. And I keep saying, well, what else is affecting the situation? What else is this child dealing with? What else is going on? And we'd get down to the bottom of the iceberg. And what I got was the parents' overwhelm, anxiety, and just guilt about everything, right? They just felt that they were failing all the time. But the thing that made me decide to leave my tenured teaching job and go be a parenting coach was the conversation I had with the mom of a seventh grader who said that her child was coming home and crying every day, right? We don't think, and this was a boy especially, right? Well, we know girls, oh, they're drama queens, they're emotional. But a boy coming home and crying every day in seventh grade is not something that you can stand at the soccer game and go like, oh my God, we're having the toughest year. You know, Johnny, has he's just like, come home and cried every day. And because I was teaching seventh grade also, and because of course I knew the staff really well, I knew that it was this exceptionally good, but also very hard science teacher who was causing kids to go home and cry. But I asked, I said, well, when you talk to the other moms, I did say moms, not parents, is when you talk to the other moms, what are you hearing? And she looked at me like I had sprung the devil's horns. Like she just says, she's like, you don't get it, Mrs. Stid. You don't talk about that stuff. And that was such a heartbreaking moment for me because I thought, my God, everybody is in their own little silo and they have no idea that they're in the, actually in the same boat with everybody else. And that from the teaching point of view, from, the, from you know, my office point of view, that's what the landscape looks like. It looks like kids crying and being overwhelmed and things being messy and them hating to go to school and thinking that Miss Wood hates them and is, they're never going to succeed. And that was really when I just thought, oh, wow, this does not have to be that hard. But it is that hard because most parents don't have the reality check because they're not allowed to talk about anything messy, anything that's going badly. And think of the number of times you wanted to just kill your child, right? I mean, sell them to the gypsies, toss them out the window, eviscerate them. Right? It's a perfectly natural feeling as a parent to just say like, I have had it. I have had it with you. But in days past, and this is another one of the challenges that we face is that um, we don't have community in the way that we had it. And not only does that mean we don't have communal values, 
So we don't just have kind of a blueprint of like, ah, that's what they're doing. That's what, that's what you do. That's what we did back then. Talk to your parent about why did you do this? And your mom will probably say, that's what we did back then. Like, why are you, why are you fussing about it? Like, that's just what we did. We didn't think about it. So not only do we not have, which and of course there's some downside to that, but in terms of, did it make parenting less overwhelming? Yes, it did. Because you just did what everybody else was doing and you didn't second guess yourself. You didn't have a million thousand choices. You didn't have decisions to agonize over. So because we don't have this lack of communal values and because we don't have communities where we gather together and compare notes, we're holding it all ourselves. And parenting is a social skill. And we were never meant to hold it all by ourselves, right? You, you, when I'll tell you this, when I do workshops for preschools, I'll sometimes ask parents, I'll say, raise your hand if the first infant you ever held was your own infant. And I'll get, you know, a third to half the hands. Wow. Can you imagine? Wow. Can you imagine? And I mean, it's gotten a little bit better with hospital stays, but not that much better. Can you imagine giving birth, having never held this squalling scrap of humanity and having to take it home and be responsible for it? I think Anybody could yeah. just be terrified. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, you're talking about all these kind of almost anthropology kinds of issues and questions, right? So, you know, thinking about we grew up as largely tribal village people raising children in community. And now you're describing a current reality for parents where it's funny, these social tools that we have have really come along to create almost a um something that's slicing people into into kind of your online happy face versus your crying middle schooler yeah and, and let's let's be perfectly clear because parenting is a social skill that we use to learn organically in communities even our kids today are not having those um, community social experiences. So since the advent of the play date, we are now segmented into age-based supervised activities. Mm -hmm. And even the play dates are, are supervised and they tend to be with kids your own age, right? So you don't have that experience of Go outside and play. I do not want to see you unless there's blood until the streetlights come on. Well, what happened when we went out and we played? We were mixed groups of kids. I know in my neighborhood, we had we had these huge wars with, you know, territories and we would throw pine cones and olives and, you know, all kinds of things. And we'd do surprise attacks on each other. And in the midst of that, there were kids of all different ages. And, you know, Cynthia could say goodbye, I'm going out to play. And mom would say, yes, but take your little brother with you. 
So now Cynthia's going to play, but she's also got this four-year-old in tow. And so she's having to figure out how to keep him happy. Because if he's really miserable, it's going to interrupt her play. And she's going to have to take him home. And then her mom's going to be mad at her. And none of that's worth it. So together, kids are figuring out, you know, it's okay. You can just pee behind the tree. And come on, don't just be quiet. I'll boost you up in the tree. You'll be okay. And we can pretend. And you're bit by bit gaining these skills of how do I interact with children of different ages? So, so I, yeah, go ahead. I know I was just going to say before we go any further, I, I'd like the audience to know that they're listening to you. My lovely is Elizabeth Stitt, the founder of Joyful Parenting Coaching, and that they're listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic with Michelle Walters and me. So um, if I could just hop on in with you for just a moment, because I'm on the other side of it. I came from an immigrant family, very tight knit. So, you know, we go to an aunt's house, an uncle's house, a cousin's house. So there was always somewhere to go. And again, you're right, different age groups to play with. So what, and so my kids were also brought up in that, in that atmosphere. What I find is that I'm really longing for this. I'm out at a, I'm now an elder and I do have some small kids in my community that I'm happy to be their auntie or what they call tante, right? Which is Dutch for auntie. And, um, and the parents are so grateful. And so it surprises me how short on resources they are. So even if they don't talk about it, there's no relief um, so that they could breathe and actually look at what's going on in their, in their life like from a distance, they're always in it. So there's, you know, or it's one parent at a time. So it's like a um, tag team parenting if it's not, you know, the full thing about that. So um, do you find that as well, where if they're not, even though they're not talking about, they're also, there's also very limited on resources for, you know, watching yes, the kids? A hundred percent. And then you add to that, if you have two working parents, you've got what, maybe 75, 90 minutes in the morning before you're trying to get out the door. And then you're picking up kids between five and six o'clock, which we all know is the bewitching hour, right? Like that's the hour when you want to sell the kids to the gypsies. Mm-hmm. And then think of everything you're trying to cram in and now kindergartners are getting homework So there's not, it's not even like you're waiting until homework where kids actually are mature enough to go do it themselves, which is why parents get in on micromanaging their kids' work. It's not that they they mean to, but it's that kids are starting homework so young that realistically you have to micromanage it because we don't expect a five-year-old to go off into his room and to do his math page. Right. So- we're now trying to cram what little parenting we have to do into very little time. And then, as I said, as you know, you said, and I said before that we, we don't have those check-ins of resources. So not only is it not okay to say hello to our peer, my same grade peer, what's going on with my kid at home. I don't have that uh, barbecue, that multi-generational barbecue and why don't I have it? Because 
My kids are running in a million directions with a million different activities because I am so completely exhausted from trying to parent and work full time. And because Netflix is so easy. It's so much easier to just sit down and let Netflix numb us compared to the effort it takes to organize a barbecue and to invite people over and to do the prep and the cleanup and not to mention the invitations. And besides, nobody will commit anyway because they're not sure when they're going to get back from the travel soccer game, blah, 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 blah. Right? So we've got all these pieces, parents with very little time to parent in a meaningful way so that 90% of their interactions with their kids are just logistics, which again, sucks the joy out of parenting. And it just, it always leaves you in that overwhelmed space because we never get the bright side. We never get the light side. It's like parenting a teenager all the time, right? You know how, at least with toddlers, it's stress, 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 but then they're just so darn cute or they do something so funny or they put their little chubby arms around you and they say, I love you, mommy. And the world is suddenly full of sunshine and rainbows and sparkling things. And you're, you feel rejuvenated. But we just don't even, we have hardly any time for that. So no connection with our elders. So, so yeah, summarize some of this for us, Elizabeth. What are, you know, one, two, three things that are winner tips for parents you want the out there? You want me to stop painting this horrible negative yeah, picture? Yeah, we've got it. We got it. We got to go to a place that's going to help people with something that they can action yes. and do and, um, you know, okay. feel, feel, feel good about. <laughs> good. Here's something. Here's, here's the tip that I really would love for parents to walk away from. You love your children like crazy. You don't want anything but the best and the good for them. So I want to empower you right here, right now to look into your center and to decide what are the two or three values that I hold dear and I really want to have my children walk away with as adults. And then I give you permission to put those up, have those be your leading ideas and use those as your parenting filters so that when you're at that soccer game and you know, Michelle says, hey, Elizabeth, are you going to put Julie in the chess club? And I go, chess club? And Michelle goes, yes. It's on Friday afternoons. And it's a nationally ranked chess player. He's fabulous. And all the kids who are in the chess club go on to the advanced math class in middle school. You really should have her in the chess club. Because... I'm going to take my key value words and I'm going to go chick, 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 put my filter in front of my face and I'm going to take in that information. Do I need chess club and do I need the advanced math? No, because those are not part of my main goals here. And that enables me to say, thanks for the information, Michelle. That doesn't work for us. 
And I walk away. I let it go. I don't let it penetrate as one more should, one more thing on the checklist that if I fail to do, I'm going to, you know, screw my child up forever. I like it. I like it. Pick pick the top two values, screen everything against those, those top two values. Yeah. And just have faith that if you keep those values in mind and you communicate those to your children clearly and lovingly in our family, we, we are this in our family. We are that. And then I would add to that, be protective of your family time. And that means saying no to your kids sometimes, a lot of times, right? It may, in my, my, my family, for example, um, my daughter uh, took gymnastics and she was naturally a good gymnast and they wanted her to be on the gymnastics team. And I said, no, like, oh, but she's really good. I'm like, no, no, I am not. I am not giving my eight, nine year old up to four or five days in the gym. Forget it. I mean, fortunately for me, I, I was divorced and so she had two families. And so logistically saying yes would have been super, super hard. But even if we had been, you know, three blocks from the gym and it was, you know, she could ride her bike there, I would have been, no, why would I give up my child for all those hours? That, that doesn't make sense. So she took Every Friday afternoon, she took she took the same gymnastics class from from eight until twelve, and you know she got a little bit better, but not very much because she was only practicing one day a week. But gymnastics was this thing that she continued to love, and was fun, and it took an hour from family time. It didn't take two hours a day, and. Honestly, her friend Frida, who did go on the on the gymnastic team and loved it, she loved it. But uh, she she switched from gymnastics to cheer, and she fell and she injured her back when she was like thirteen, and she was never able to go back to anything like that. And it had a, a real impact on her sense of confidence and sort of as she moved into high school who she was and where her place was. That's really sad. And her parents certainly didn't perceive that happening, but you know, they just seemed like in the moment, a great opportunity. And, and let's be clear, this kid loved gymnastics. And so she was really saying, please mom, please dad, I, I would make me so happy to do it. So when we have our long-term values super clear, it helps us to communicate that to our kids in such a way that says, I get it and I see it and I love you and our family is more important. There will be other opportunities for other things. I like it. Very simple. Right. So you gave us two. I did. I gave you two tips. 
Yeah. Do you have time for one more or do you want to um, want something else? Okay. Well, one other thing, which is um, in the long run, the irony that is adding to our overwhelm is because we're so busy and our kids are so structured and have so many activities and they themselves are so busy that most parents I talk to when I ask, what kind of chores are your kids doing at home? They, parents, they answer, Ugh, I know I should have my kids doing chores, but it's just too much work to get them to do it. And it's much easier to do it myself. And again, in my view, that is very short-sighted thinking. Of course, it's easier today. But if you train your child and you train them young, then really by middle school, there's not any household task that a 13 or 12, 13 year old isn't capable of doing. So if you've been training them all along, you know, that's great. Mary, you're going to cook dinner on Tuesdays and George, you're cooking dinner on Wednesdays and we're all going shopping together on Saturday mornings. Life does get easier when everything is shared together and nobody likes doing housework. So it's more fun when it's just scheduled on Saturday mornings and you have a dance party and you're rocking out the tunes and everybody's doing their, their chores all at the same time. Summer, by the way, we're coming up on summer. Summer is an excellent time to actually teach them some of those skills that you feel like you don't have to teach them when they're doing all their activities and homework and everything else. So yeah, I am. A, and okay, let's just be very clear that the research between the, it's not causal. We can't say that it's causal, but we can certainly say that it's, there's a very high correlation between kids who do chores and the levels at which kids thrive as adults. So their happiness levels, their success levels in terms of being out, like it kind of becomes a no brainer. When you, when you see those studies, you're like, oh, you mean just by having my kids doing chores, I'm going to be boosting the levels at which they're thriving statistically? That yeah. seems like a no brainer. Teaching kids responsibility, right? right? Kids have to learn responsibility. But oh. it's not just that, it's helping them feel important and like an integral part of the, of the fabric of the family. It's giving them autonomy and self-efficacy right? It's helping them to feel grown up mm -hmm. when otherwise we're treating them like children because we're micromanaging everything and we're serving them. Right. Yeah. Right. Elizabeth, tell us what you have coming up. Well, um, what is always ongoing, um, I know in May, uh, not to ask parents to do things. So, <laughs> This does not start in May, <laughs> um, starting in, in June. Well, okay, let's be perfectly clear. I have a five-week program, a five-topic program called Harmony at Home. And you can, you can go to my website today and sign up for the do-it-yourself version if you want to watch the videos and go through uh, the, the notebooks yourself. And, uh, or 
you can join me in my Zoom room and I will teach live the same five topics, but then it's interactive and we stop and we do exercises and we get the feedback and we get to hear from what other people are doing. And so, and it comes with a bonus hour of one-on-one -on -one coaching. So that can be a really fabulous way to make some big shifts in your family. I like it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming to join us today on Mind Power Meets Mystic. We loved hearing your stories about parenting and your excellent tips, because I know it's something that so many folks out there really, really are struggling with right now. Thanks for being on our show and happy parenting day, everyone. Happy parenting day. Listeners, I'm very excited to let you know that we'll be doing a follow-up Q&A with Elizabeth Stitt on Facebook Live. It'll be streamed through Cynthia's Facebook. The date is May 23rd at 2 p.m. Please join us and have access to Elizabeth and get your parenting questions answered. Hope to see you there. You've been listening to... Mind Power Meets Mystic. Mystic.